Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Hey, hey. Got Lavender Gooms here. Good evening, gentlemen and ladies. Got the man, the myth, the legend, the great DJ Mark here. Greetings. I like to, I like to sell you real big at the beginning. It's Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> I've noticed that. You really get everyone all uh, hyped up. Just and- <laughs> let them down over the course of an hour. <laughs> Um, boys and girls, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Um, there's a pay-per-view this weekend coming up. Little thin. Uh, injuries hit this card a little bit, but still some um, pretty goddamn relevant fights near at the top of the way of the uh, card. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some welterweight news. In, uh, that happened this week? We're going to talk about some welterweight. Did I do it right, Mark? Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, there we go. Um, got to talk a little, do a little 20 questions, which is quickly becoming my favorite part of this podcast. It gives me great entertainment. I thought it was such a bad Were idea. Were the king of pancreas, Mark? It was. I love this. I honestly. I mean, Stefan, you weren't here for me complaining about how bad of an idea this was. And like, I will eat all shit on this one. That was. I was wrong. I love it. Um, but first, and we're going to talk about Mr. McGregor. Because quite frankly, beyond just us trying to get some fucking. Get our SEO numbers up. Uh, some stuff happened. So we're going to talk about uh, Connor. Um, but first off, coming to you. From what from the Scotia Bank Saddleback uh, Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the home of, as Daniel Cormier put it, the former Intercontinental and WWE Champion Bret Hart. That was one of my favorite parts of the show, by the way. Yeah, I was going to mention he really got into Dude, that. Daniel Cormier loves wrestling, and he's not even hiding hey, it. it was speaking cool. about Bret Hart, is there a lady in the WWE who comes out to his music or plays homage to him? That's his niece. Oh, yeah, okay. that's that's a uh, Natalia, right? Yeah, that's Natalia. That's uh, his tag team partner was also her dad. So he used to come out with her every now and then, too. They got to, you know, this is wrestling. You got to be about six generations in, get some respect from the people. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. Um, we're going to talk about this card that happened, this UFC on Fox card, which had garbage TV ratings, which I like how most of the MMA media today, their reaction was, man, what do people want? Like, what do you want from them, man? Because this was, uh, this is fucking awesome, quite frankly, on paper, and it, uh, especially the top two fights lived up, uh, and uh, then some. Um, Jesus Christ, Dell, shut the fuck up! My computer's beeping like a motherfucker. Um, we're gonna we're gonna start. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about the main card. Um, though I did see actually, I saw a few minutes of Jordan Meehan and uh, Alex uh, Morano. And Steph, I know we're all you and Miro was talking about Alex, how uh, Jordan Meehan doesn't want to fight anymore. My man, th- like, just started. Sw- they were swinging for the fences. It looked like Jordan Meehan really wanted to fight. I, oh, yeah. I'll eat some crow on that. Um, from what I saw and what I read, uh, in terms of I, I wasn't able to catch the prelims either. But yeah, he looked like he wanted to fight in this one, and that's what I've given him or shit on in the past. But um, hopefully he's gotten his head right wherever he was. Well, he's also better. he's from Alberta, so he was fighting. This was a home fight for him. Um, he's won you know two straight. He beat Eric Silva before this in Canada. Basically, you just book the man to fight in Canada. I think is the way to go here. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> and guys like Eric Silva. That's a, that's another good move. Um, 
Alexander Hernandez, um, I was Marcus, I was kind of impressed by his performance here because why other people have beaten Olivier Aubin Mercier, he's such a good grappler, it was impressive to see somebody do it using the strategy uh, Alexander Hernandez did. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I thought overall his performance was really um, telling of just how, how strong of a prospect he is. Um, if you don't remember, because I certainly didn't, um, Hernandez is the guy that came in short notice to fight uh, um, Darush and knocked him out like in like under a minute. Kids, you know, yoked. He's long, lengthy. Um, a real interesting prospect. What we got in this one was really to see the long game and something that I guess he was touting before the fight was, you know, he had great endurance. Um, and in that first round, he was really pressing the action. Um, not, not a ton of like damage was done, but he was controlling the clinch, landing some good knees, just winning that round, just being aggressive. And I definitely thought like just because of his build and how hard he was pushing, like, ah, oh, this this kid's going to burn out and Olivier is going to be able to utilize grappling later in the fight to potentially turn it around. And you saw that a little bit in the second round where um, um, uh, Mercier was able to, you know, initiate his, his wrestling better. He got t- top control and I was like, okay, this is where the tide kind of turns on this young kid who was, you know, who seemed more like a striker and maybe didn't have the gas tank to grapple, but I was completely wrong. Alexander was able to reverse the position on the ground, got on top, and then in the third round was able to get on top again and, uh, you know, really just control this fight and, and get a, you know, a big win over, you know, now he has two solid wins against two guys that we know. And uh, Mercier really, I don't think gets a lot of credit yeah. in light heavyweight. We have lost two fights so far in his career. Um, you know, I think this was a really big win for Alexander. I think it just it it's not going to score as many points because I think Mercier himself was kind of being underplayed a little bit. I don't even think he was ranked, and Hernandez was. This was a big win, and it showed that this kid has the gas tank and the skills to fight someone with a different kind of you know strengths than he does. I mean, he, he seems like he's a really good striker, but his, his grappling impressed me in this one, and his yeah. gas tank. So I was yeah. I was I was just pretty impressed by that because oh, Mercier can go, man, like just forever. He, he doesn't just look like Forrest Griffin to me. He kind of has that, like, I'm just going to fucking scrap attitude. And he's especially good on the ground. So I was I was pretty impressed. Mike, Ioana and Jacek went out there, um, kind of let Tisha Torres dictate where the fight was taking place and still uh, beat her pretty handedly. I really don't want to talk about the fight because it was nice that Ioana got a win here. But I'm, you know how much, you guys know how much I love Ioana and Jacek. If you guys have been listening to the podcast a long time, I literally picked her to beat Carla when nobody, none of us had, any, had barely had any idea who she was. And I'm not t- tooting my own horn here as I'm some sort of genius. I picked her because she gave an expired cookie to a woman at the weigh-ins. I mean, that's why I did it. Um, she's always been a darling of the hardcore fans, Mike. It seems like since her first loss to Rose Namajunas, she's making a real effort for everybody to dislike her. Ah, uh, that is where you would be wrong, Mr. Bobak. She has been making efforts for people not to like her since before her loss to Rose. Specifically, during the lead-up to the Rose fight, we were already questioning. I remember at that time, like, hmm, this is kind of similar to, like, right before Ronda lost. What's going on here? And her losing twice to Rose has not made that any better. I mean, it's one thing to think you're the best. I assume as a top-level professional athlete, that's what you got to do. None of us here on this podcast would know what that is like. But she's a, almost a bit delusional in some of the comments she's saying, you know, talking about that Rose hasn't earned her respect it's, yet. And it's so like weird. That. You have to, she has to bow down to her. And, like, I know we're in the world of McGregor here where you got to shit-talk your way to everything. But, Mike, don't we? I think we all should remember when McConnor lost to Nate – like, he just went out there and said, yeah, I lost. He did this, this, and this better than me. 
I'm going to learn and come back, you know. And then he fought him and won a close decision, and he didn't exactly whip his dick out. He's like, man, Nate was real tough. I was able to improve this, this, and this. Like, for all the bravado of everybody wants to be Conor McGregor, like, there's some, you got to couch some of this shit in reality, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, You know, Conor had a lot of his moments when he would be very gracious, especially right after the Nate Diaz fight. He didn't start coming out with the bullshit that he fought a man three times bigger than him until the lead up to the next fight. In fairness, uh, I think but, that was Dana White who was saying that Nate Diaz was some sort of Andre the Giant level motherfucker at that point. That was incredible. Some of the memes that came out of that, where it basically shows Connor like as a little elf and Nate Diaz as a giant, were just spectacular. But this is just a really bad for for Joanna Weiner, as I now call her. It's no longer Joanna champion. It's no longer Joanna winner. It's Joanna Weiner. Okay, she whines. She's a whiner, Bobby. I don't get what she's doing because, I mean, we all know this. For you to get a third title shot, like, something's going to have to go horribly wrong for her to fight Rose Namajunas a third time. Like, a fight has to get canceled the day before, and the fight needs to take place in fucking, like, three blocks from her house in Poland. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I want to talk about Jose Aldo, though. Let's get to the man who had his first knockout or first stoppage victory since, what, he need uh, our guy... I need our guy Mendez's head off, right? Um, illegally. Yeah. Well, the, the knee wasn't illegal. All the things that led up to it were illegal. Um, his first time since December 2015, guy got a, got a finish. Uh, oh, no, sorry. I'm not even reading that correctly. January 2012. January 14, 2012, which uh, Stefan was the day of the uh, 49ers versus the Saints. Because both you and I showed up to Mark's house very late after sitting in traffic for like three hours. If you remember that at all, I do remember. Because that's probably the one time I lost my mind at a steering wheel. Uh, literally did not move for an hour and a half in this that spot. Some homeless man emerged from the wild and just started trying to direct cars, and <laughs> no one was moving. Someone gave him a sandwich, which was, I guess, nice. But he eventually just sat there and ate his sandwich, and still no one had moved. Um. So, I watched this great effort by this brave soul. Yeah, so Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens, um, it was a four-minute fight. A lot of fun stuff happened. Jeremy Stevens seemed game, quite frankly. Um, but Marcus, Jose Aldo reeled back and gave him a liver shot that made me at home. Like, I, I made the same noise I think Jeremy Stevens did, which was, Whoa! okay, that was the noise I made at my house. Um, and then he's finished him off on the ground. Old man still got it, huh? Yeah, apparently. I mean, he... Throughout this fight, he looked good. Um, he was throwing more leg kicks, like we always kind of, uh, you know, uh, criticize him for not utilizing more. Um, Jeremy was throwing a lot of his own kicks. Um, it was a very even matchup. One point in the um, in the fight, Jeremy landed some really good uppercuts that looked like they had Aldo in a lot of trouble. And you know, seemingly out of nowhere, um, the liver punch is something that Aldo has done throughout his career. He hasn't finished a lot of guys with it, and a lot of times it was a setup for a low kick, but. Uh, this time he ripped it real hard to Jeremy, and you got that awesome delayed reaction where he he stumbles back a few steps. He's holding his stomach, and you're like, "Oh, is he really hurt?" And, oh yeah, he's hurt, and he falls back. And um, you know, Aldo pounced on him, and I, I wasn't upset with the timing of the stoppage, um, but it was one of those stoppages like one more second we would have had a much clearer idea if um, Jeremy Stevens he basically turned his back and was kind of. Potentially either building to his base and trying to get back up, basically, you know, getting on his knees so he can 
potentially start to stand back up or just giving up and he was just going to get pounded in. Um, we didn't. Did get you th- did you really, really think see. it was that controversial? I really, I mean, I kind of came out of it thinking, yeah, he was done. Like, I don't know. I didn't know. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm actually happy Mark brought this up because that was kind of my observation, um, kind of watching highlights and uh, various replays. None of those hammer fists were especially clean to me. And I think he was keeled over mostly still from the body shot. I don't think those hammer fist shots to the head were putting him out. I wasn't mad at the stoppage. I did have a little feeling like, huh, I'm not so certain. I'm not so definitely sure Stevens would have not have ultimately recovered. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm in the same boat, Bob. Like, I'm not mad at the stoppage. I'm just, all I would say is like, if you gave Stevens one more second, we see if he attempts to build himself to stand back up. Or if he if he literally just turned his back because he didn't want to take any more punishment, one more punch would have solidified to me. Oh, Stare, Jeremy's still in this fight and he's he's building himself back up, or he's done. Um, and even though we didn't get to see that second and see what it was, I had no qualms about the stoppage here. I mean, at that point, Jeremy had taken multiple punches. Um, he was obviously seriously hurt, and I think the referee just stopped it because like he saw Jeremy give up his back and kind of go face down for a second. He's like. That's enough. Yeah. That getting in that position is what signified to him that the fight was over. I just think that's also a position that you potentially build back to your base to stand back up. So he could have still been potentially protecting himself to try to, you know, continue the fight. And we don't get that. But I mean, that's that's the that's MMA. You know, you you get put in comp- compromising positions. You need to make really quick minded decisions to show the referee that you're still in there and you're still capable of defending yourself intelligently and advancing into better positions and he, he didn't sell the referee on that so he got he stopped the fight so i thought it was totally fair big win for yeah, jose though big win for jose aldo there um mike is kind of tough he's lost twice to the champion and both times he got he took beatings at the hands of max holloway some people suggesting i move up to 155 while well, he's talking about going for another belt um, I like the co-main event podcast idea where they say they finally, we finally get Anthony Pettis for Jose Aldo. I think that'd be, you know, a wonderful time for all involved. I mean, what do you think, man? Do you think he hangs out at 145, see what's going on with Max's head and weight issue? Or do you think he finally makes that move to 155? Well, I think he's in the same boat as Joanna Weiner. You know, he's lost twice to the, to the current champion. And if you want to go back, well, actually he did be, he was champion when he beat, uh, Frankie again so I really can't say he's lost three title uh, title matches in a row but he's lost two to the current champ as it is right now and it's really hard to, to get a third match at least Joanna has a bit more of a case because the second fight was a was much closer than the knockout loss mm. but in all those cases, you know he got he got dominated pretty well in that second match and at this point you know if any of you saw the the, the early morning weigh-ins for, for Aldo? He looked pretty drawn in again, as he normally does at 145. It's going to get to a point that he should just, you know, relax and help himself out a bit and just go up to 155. It's It'll just be better it's for probably him. It's probably a... And can't get another title shot for a long time. He'll have to do a Joseph Benavides type of uh, string of fights to get another shot. Yeah, and... um. It's just he he hasn't. It's gonna be hard. To, it's almost hard to convince a guy who's never made the mistake yet because he hasn't actually missed weight before. But we'll see where it goes. Stefan, I want to just sorry, just chime in. He he specifically made forty five too, right? Not forty six because he because I, I think they said on the broadcast that he's still trying to show like I can still make 
championship weight if need be. Yeah, I think he did. I think also everybody remembers that Mark Hominick one where he just looked like he was not on this planet anymore for the last like two rounds of that fight after that bad weight cut. Um, so it's hard to say. Stefan, I want to come to you and talk to you about the main event. Um, and I want you to, you know, talk about how Dustin Poirier went from a pretty good action fighter who we thought could be in, you know, six to 10. And now this man unquestionably deserves a title shot. Uh, we'll go to Mark in a second with a breakdown of what happened with some of Eddie's blunders, quite frankly, with some Bob Schreiber level cheating throughout the fight. But, um, Stefan, first off, Dustin Poirier is just ascension at this point. Yeah, and this is what you love seeing. You love going back to that moment. We talked about it last week with DC, right? You know, we talk about, you think it's always that Jeff Monson to um, Bigfoot Silva. That was the, uh, that's where he, that's that moment they reached the next level. And sometimes you don't think it's going to happen with action fighters, particularly action fighters, right? They're just known for being these aggressive brawlers. But, you know, and I think even last week, I think I heard the, the, the phrase with Dustin Poirier, this is that point where he usually loses, right? This is the point. I believe I said that exactly. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> that was definitely me. a streak where, yeah, because there's certain guys you get used to them not being able to make that. I mean, use, for right? example, Jeremy Stevens would be an example of that. Exactly. The, the, always the bridesmaid, never the bride uh, situations. Um, but what did he do is when you see a lot of brawlers when they make that ascension, what is it that they do? They become a little bit more patient. They sit on their strikes better. Uh, they, you know, they, they stop hunting for the big shot. And that's something Poirier did, right? He liked his big, like, kind of lunging straight. He liked his big power hooks. But look at how he fought Eddie in those last two fights. He hits him with small shots. He, he peppers that jab on Eddie's chin three straight times, right, as Eddie just keeps getting wobbled back. He, he, he puts it out on volume, right? It's, it's a more technical version of what we love the Diaz brothers for, what uh, a prime uh, Carlos Condit did, right? It's just this volume, this mixing up of strikes. It's what we like Justin Gaethje do, to do, but we wish he would back out a little more. We wish he would faint, he would disengage. Um, essentially, Poirier is putting together those qualities, but with greater patience, but with greater accuracy. Because while a lot of people follow Connor's blueprint in terms of personality, that's what more strikers should have been doing. Is Connor's not usually the big one shot guy. He he he's just incredibly accurate. You know, and accuracy counts for more than big power because you swing and miss all the time. You just gas out. Uh, he became super controlled. He became super confident. He was always a gamer. He always had, you could see him get finished, but that was more a product of his own aggression. Like uh, when I think back to the Korean Zombie, for example, you know, with more control, with more patience. And we're just seeing him put it together. He totally deserves a spot. And, you know, if he doesn't get the title shot, if you know, him versus Tony. It's like all well, the other – it's like the big three. Whoever you put them against, it's an exciting proposition. Yeah, I mean, Mike, uh, before we get into the uh, uh, what uh, Eddie Alvarez did, Mike, we got J Dustin Poirier here who's unquestionably – it's him and Tony, though I think people have kind of forgotten Tony at this point. Um, Dustin Poirier, uh, I think Ben Folk said it well, has earned the right to be the guy waiting at his phone to see if Khabib Nurmagomedov is going to get hurt or Conor McGregor is going to get arrested. And for him to just stay fucking ready, just in case, right? I mean, it's that's the spot he's got to put himself in now. You know, it's it's crazy to even think and just think about. Just a few months ago, Tony Ferguson was the interim champion. People have kind of forgotten about that. Yep. <laughs> um. 
yeah, go ahead. Dustin Poirier, but Dustin Poirier's role at this point. Um, I would disagree. I would still say that if Tony Ferguson is healthy in the next few months, I would still give him the title shot before Dustin Poirier. Yeah, but you're not the bald-headed prick that runs this organization who's petty about this shit. Do you think? What do you really think Tony Ferguson is going to get a shot? What What did Tony Ferguson do to Dana White except trip over some wires? It hurt his knee. It's that him and Khabib have not been canceled one time. It's it, it keeps getting canceled. Remember we had that discussion about hypothetical fights that never were? Habib and Tony have a lot of failure. That feels like a cursed fight. That's why, Mike. This isn't just two times. This is Bob, you say third this would be the third or fourth time they I think this is the fight? fourth time. I think this would be the fourth time if they did this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I still think that of the two that have cachet, I think Tony Ferguson still has more cachet than a Poirier. All right, we'll see what happens there. We'll talk about Connor in a few minutes. But Marcus, you and me picked Eddie Alvarez. I wasn't feeling that bad about it, even though he was getting in the hit in the face a lot much of the fight. Because when Eddie got mount and it looked like Dustin Poirier couldn't fucking go anywhere, I'm like, all right, man, let's go. Let's do some work. Uh, things started taking a turn there towards the end, though, huh, Marcus? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, uh, their first fight ended in controversy. And even though uh, the fight wasn't ended uh, because of controversy, there were still lots of it in this fight. Um, I guess besides the obvious blunder where um, and it's really it's a fun watch because you see Eddie in that mount position. It's weird. It's like I guess they kind of call it the quarter mount, right? Like the guy has his back up against the cage, not against the ground. Mm-hmm. Eddie's kind of sitting on his lap. It's a, it's a kind of awkward position where you can't really utilize a lot of um, offensive strikes to do a lot of damage. So he's in this position, and he looks over to his corner, and his coach is telling him to do these nine to six elbows, apparently on Dustin's shoulder. Eddie thinks that's a great idea. Coach said it's cool, so let's go with 12, it. 12-6. What's that? 12-6, to 12. Six, sorry. Um, and he does, and I don't think it caused a lot of damage to Dustin, but it's an illegal strike. You just can't throw that elbow that way to any extremity on the body. It doesn't matter if it's a foot to the dome of the head. You just can't do that that type of arcing with your elbows. Um, so the referee, I, he didn't take a point away, right? It was just no, a stern warning. He also, I mean, it was Eddie was building up to it with some other cheating because Eddie had grabbed the yeah, fence a few times. I was going to grab, I guess there was a guillotine choke. He also, he was grabbing the fence, there, was a wet, there was a wet willy in there too, allegedly. He kind of put his I, finger I, in I, Dustin I Poirier's ear, which that was, that was when I started laughing. I'm like, okay, Eddie, we're going we're going straight three stooges here with it. Um, he just, you know, yeah, there was, it was kind of Mark, I think it was Goddard who said he kind of like Eddie kind of forced his hand that many infractions. Yeah. And I mean, he didn't get a point taken away and none of the infractions this time were, um, I think really changed much of the course of the, of the fight. Um, except in regards of that elbow, the strike itself didn't do damage to Dustin, but Eddie lost a, better position at that moment where he was looked like he was getting a little tired he was definitely getting beat up throughout the fight to lose the top position um potentially where he maybe he would have been able to kind of ground dustin or i, I think dustin might have been able to work his his way back up we'll never know um but it ultimately let dustin get back in a standing uh, stand-up exchange where he was able to um utilize his straight punches again to hurt eddie and ultimately finish the fight but um at the end of the day I wasn't surprised with the outcome, uh, but I was also satisfied with the fight. Um, and it was kind of like the uh, featherweight fight before this. For only being two rounds um, and uh, going into four minutes at that second round, a lot of action took place. There's a lot of things going on throughout this fight. Eddie was going to the body regularly. Dustin was you know, scoring po- points with leg kicks and his straight punches. It was a really fun fight. And 
Um, I, I knew picking Eddie was kind of a risky endeavor. I didn't think he had a lot of momentum going into this fight. Cause I think the first fight, Dustin really, really put it on him. And that's kind of what we got more of in this fight. Eddie wasn't able to turn it around. He didn't have an opportunity to finish the fight with a illegal strike to get another no contest here. He ended up losing, but, um, Huge win for Dustin, and I don't think Eddie's stock goes down way goes down a bunch here. I mean, definitely it takes a little steam off him getting another title shot for sure. Marcus, you don't think the man on the last fight of his contract who needs who rolled the dice here? I I thought this was a costly, costly in a world where Bellator doesn't look like they want to pay Michael Chandler what Michael Chandler wants to get paid. I don't know what Eddie Alvarez just did to his paycheck, man. I don't know if he's going to get paid what he wants to get paid well, now. I mean, but. I was talking in in the realm of how people view him as a oh, fighter and a contender. Gotcha. Not so much in how, how his negotiating is going to go now. Cause yeah, he, he took a risk on this fight. He lost. So he's at a losing hand right now. And I don't think the UFC, I don't know if they see, especially with these ratings that you said at the top of the show, were not very good. And this is a very strong card. Um, how they're going to view the worth of Eddie Alvarez now that he lost and he's not pulling in numbers. I think the uh, UFC has a strong case to to come to the negotiating negotiations table and say, "Look, it, we're not going to be paying you nearly as much as we were before." And I don't know how how well it's going to sit with Eddie. Like you said, I don't know if Bellator is in a position to offer Eddie the kind of paycheck that he wants. And outside of those two, there's some other promotions, but it seems unlikely that they would be able to kind of throw their hat in and offer Eddie something that he would find comparable to what he was getting now, if not better. So, yeah, he's in a tough position with his contract for sure. Uh, so that was this card. It was a good time. Um, Dustin Poirier, we mentioned, is right up there trying to get a shot at the lightweight title. We got some resolution, folks, at the Conor McGregor thing because I'm going to go to uh, It's an Amazing Chief Legal Analyst here, uh, Lavender Gooms. Mike, um, we all know this. Dude's got money. You ain't seen a jail, so- jail cell. Conor McGregor gets anger management. He has to pay for the bus. I think he got community service. Um... He's going to get his ass sued by Kiesa and everybody else still, but uh, no jail time for McGregor, and uh, he is the number one contender for his belt. That is indeed true. As uh, many lower-income people know in this great United States, if you don't got much money, you're probably going to jail or ending up with a record. If you're Conor McGregor, you're good. You do some community service. You go talk to some kids. You guys remember when... uh Jason High got TKO'd and got up and accident shoved the referee a little bit, and now he's still banned from the UFC. And Conor McGregor threw a fucking dolly at a bus and in and, and broke a card in half. He's still in the UFC. God, I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not delusional. I live in this country. I live in this world. This is just be a good example of for people who are just like it's not fair. Motherfuckers, nothing is fair at all in life. <laughs> Let it sink in, man. Um. Stefan, I know you're riding and dying with Khabib, Khabib if this fight ever happens. Um, I liked, uh, I think it was, was it Eddie, was it Dustin or Eddie Alvarez who said, if it ends in two rounds, if it ends in two rounds, it's Connor. Beyond that, it's Khabib. That, that's kind of a fair take, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's not to ride or die. I, I've been a big Connor fan, as disappointing as his behavior was. Um, you know, he's a fun character, but um, Khabib. As much as it seems like he should be beaten, Tony Ferguson might be the only guy I think can do it. But even then, I'm not sure I'd pick him. Why would you pick against Abib at this point? Uh, I saw an interview. You know, he said he's smart. If he fights Connor, he's going to take him down. Hold on. He's not going to use, as he put it, his uh, Muhammad Ali jab. 
that you all enjoyed so much. He's not going to use that on Connor because he's not stupid. But um, yeah, Habib is amazing. Uh, Tony's amazing. Poirier is amazing, even though I don't, I, I'd like him to fight anyone but Habib. That's the one very glaring weakness. It, it's a good time in the lightweight division, all extracurriculars aside. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, Cajun Johnson. I said we should all root for him because his he's gonna fight. He's fighting a fucking Dagestani murderer, um, and that means UFC's trying to get rid of get rid of him. Um, Cajun went out there, man, and uh, Jesus Christ! I mean, can I use getting Dagestan? Does that make sense to everybody? It didn't go well. Um, after a four fight win streak, um, I'd be surprised if he hasn't been cut right now. Let's put it that way. So. Pour another one out for the poor guys trying to get these fighters some goddamn rights, huh? Um, let's do a little bit of Marcus. What's our history segment called? That happened this week. Well done, my friend. Um, gonna first off uh, talk about how Quentin Jackson's Pride debut happened July 29, thousand one. Marcus, uh, Rampage's. Over the years, has told us he was poisoned or food poisoned or I don't know what happened. But really, I mean, what came out of this fight was, um, despite him losing to Sakuraba, Rampage kind of put his name out there as just one of the most entertaining guys in the sport. Yeah, no, he definitely put, um, you know, his, his stamp of approval out there to let people know that I'm an exciting fighter. Get excited to watch me fight. And that Sakuraba fight is a really exciting fight. It's just a... It's just constant mayhem and madness for about seven minutes before um, Jackson kind of tires himself out by throwing Sakuraba around the ring like a rag doll, and he gets rear naked choked. But um, it's just one of those fights you're like, damn, like it, it did not go his way. He obviously made some mistakes, and Sakuraba, being the the great grappler that he is, was able to capitalize on it. But I know when I saw that fight, I was like, I want to see this guy fight again. This guy is something special, and uh, it- you know that came. That came true. It's uh, sometimes, man, in a losing effort, you get the, you, you see a guy for the first time, and then afterwards, even though they lose, you're like, this guy's going to be something. Uh, Lando Venata against Tony Ferguson to be an example of that. Lando was landing left and right on Tony. We're like, oh, shit, this guy's something. We still don't know what. Max Holloway was another one, if you guys remember. He came in when he was 19 years old or 18 years old and fought Dustin Poirier and really put up a hell of a fight before getting hit with a triangle arm bar from Mount, which, shit, what are you going to do? Um... Another one for July 29th, Mike. One year ago, July 29th, 2017, we thought we saw the return of the once and future king, Mr. John Bones Jones himself, where he kicked Daniel Cormier's row head into like the fourth row. Um, we, ha- we, we were happy for two weeks, man. And then it all fell apart, huh? Can you transport yourself back to that time? <laughs> I could, except I don't know what you're talking about because that fight never happened. Because it was a no contest. I mean, no contest doesn't mean it doesn't happen. There's a parentheses one at the end of those records. Something no, happened. it's stricken um, from your memory, Bobby. Bobby somehow skipped me, the uh, reprogramming. I, I think I remember that Daniel Cormier, you know, had the belt after that fight. Well, a okay. few weeks later. Few weeks jokes later. A, jokes aside, Mike. This is just a con- another reminder, huh? That maybe the best of all time is still, you know, he even had his own fucking reflective post on it. It's just he's still not fighting. I I saw an article a couple of days ago um, that said a year after John Jones gets popped, um, he's looking noticeably smaller. He was doing a lot of powerlifting. He was also powerlifting for a while there. No, I'm not saying it wasn't that. And 
testing positive for stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter, man. Look at Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar about to get a title shot. <laughs> People acting like John Jones somehow wasn't getting a title shot. Come on now. Brock Lesnar. Al Heyman in the house on Raw. Paul Heyman, brother. Speaking Paul of Heyman. Al, Paul Al, Heyman. Who's, who's Al Heyman? He's the guy who, who's Mayweather's guy. There we go. I think that's that's Al Heyman. Um, Stefan, two years ago, Tyron Woodley went out there, punched Robbie Lawler right in the fucking face, knocked the man out, didn't know it was possible to do that. In Robbie Lawler version 2.0, Robbie Lawler 1.0 got knocked out by Nick Diaz, but... Oh, we knew, Bobby. What did I always say about Robbie Lawler? As fun as his championship reign was, it was always teetering on the edge. It's like, yeah. this guy's not long. He he defended it far more than I gave him credit for, but you just knew that was just going to be a fun short ride. Um, Tyron Woodley, uh, I love Tyron Woodley, I, it's, which is it's funny to you guys, given how much I used to hate him, but I'm on board with everything Tyron Woodley's been doing pretty much since he's been champion. Um, the UFC, I think we might have talked a little bit about this, but it's official now, so let's say it. The UFC has booked Tyron Woodley versus Darren Till to main event a pay-per-view because they have no other choice than to have that belt be defended on that pay-per-view because if you run through all the other titles, they can't put them on that pay-per-view and they don't want to find out the new bottom on pay-per-view buys because if they just went out there and headlined a card with um, Valentina Shevchenko and somebody help me out the name of the champion at 125. I honestly don't remember her name. Yeah, I don't either. Nico Montoya? Yeah. Nico, yes. Nico, Mont- Nico Montoya? I that whole season, and I am a big fan of Nico Montoya, though I did feel sad with her uh, public undressing of uh, Ariel Hawani, though she does not have that many followers, so that did not... Yeah, especially thing. considering it, it, like 15 holes were pointed, were, were uh, you know, were in her story almost immediately. It wasn't great. But anyway, yeah, they don't want to find out what happens when they sell 40,000 fucking pay-per-views, so they need to put a title fight. And if if Colby Covington wasn't like the biggest like most hated guy in this fucking sport right now, maybe people would care more. But Stefan, like the man fought forty five days ago, like I, I remember, <laughs> like forty five days ago, and he needed some nasal surgery, and he just needed like another month or two to be able to fight Tyron Woodley rather than fight him in September. And the UFC's like, fuck that, you're stripped of the title. Not only that, we want you to fight Kamaru Usman. Um, I which, mean, that's all good. I mean, I like that because it shows if this whole thing is a work of Colby Covington, this is it backfiring. And I like to see it backfire on people. Like, look, it's not just a good thing to be hated and shitted on. That's yeah. not a great way to succeed in life. Yeah, it gets you eyes, but I don't want to see that be rewarded. You know, so yeah, but we're trying to get my man Wood. We're trying to get my man Woodley a paycheck here, man. Maybe somebody. We want people to like Woodley a little bit. We're finally there. We were so close. Honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't get what they're doing stuff on because, like, I know we all hate this man, but like, th- like, wasn't the point of this for them to have this fight? Not oh, for them I mean, to book. Not for them to book Darren Till, another fucking like long striker against Woodley, because we fucking saw that fight twice. I mean, yeah, and well, also. <laughs> Uh, Till, as much as I, I love him and I champion the fight, he he missed weight massively in his hometown. You know, he he really doesn't deserve this shot. He he said as much himself. He he was mad for missing weight. He knew that this shouldn't get him a title shot, but but it does. You know, like yeah, and, and as opposed to the shock, it's like I'm not surprised. How how surprised are you really? There's already a precedent for this. For over a year now, the interim title has been a joke, right? We've all agreed for a long time now the interim title means nothing. Tony Ferguson, we just mentioned him. His title, his fake title was absolved first. 
So once that yeah. happened, all bets were off. The interim title, whatever weight it carried, after they did what they did to Tony Ferguson, it was a propo to nothing. And that's what Colby Covington won that night. He won a giant gold hunk of nothing. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's it's a lot of money, man, because he made like three fifty that night, and I think he made like fifty and fifty when he beat Damian Maya. Look again, like he's a real piece of shit. But like, I don't know. I I don't understand what was the point of having this business strategy just to us to get to this point, and we're gonna send a hundred and seventy four pound Darren Till out there. I'm saying hundred seventy four. He missed. He almost went blind. The people saw that video. He he didn't know what the fuck was happening, and like Mike, what? I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but like, what the fuck are these people doing? Dana White is still over his hangover. I'm not talking about Dana White even more. Let's be honest here. All this right. is Dana White had different people with his partnership before. No, no, no. They were look, not man, doing this at, shit. Look, at the end of the day, the buck stops with Dana White. Okay. What what measuring stick? I'm, I'm a buck stops with the people who own the company. But Bobby, you're talking as if these people really know what the hell they're doing. I'm, that's why I'm asking. They don't know what the fuck. They're, Mike, like I know, like Lorenzo and Dana, then whatever they did, they did. I I wonder, like at no point when they were running this company that I think, all right, this might all fall apart one day. I well, legitimately wonder that now. Where I'm like, what are we like? It, what are we doing? I, is it ING? WMG. I, WMG. WMG at the end of the day, they're or WME, talent. sorry. WME. WME. They're they're like a talent whatever type of agency. Mm. They defer to Dana White on all of this stuff. All right. They understandably have no idea what it is they're supposed to do. They really have no game plan when it comes to writing this fight, writing this fight promotion. So they're leaving a lot of it to Dana White. Like Dana, you've been doing this for God knows how long. Let's let's figure out a plan. And Dana seems to not know what to do, you know, past the next three months. I honestly think they are going to get their money out of this thing and they could give a shit what this is going to look like at the end, which might be similar to what the Fertitta brothers were doing, Marcus. But these guys, the Fertitta brothers and Dana White, for all their faults, and I'm mostly going to talk about the Fertitta brothers because we kind of learned who runs the show here in terms of the different things these companies are doing. They used to say they wanted to be the stewards of this sport. Not just of the UFC. They wanted to protect this sport on some level and move the sport along and advance the sport. And sure, they did it to their own financial gain on a massive level, but the sport did advance. We did go in. We got regulation. We got accident insurance. We got regulated everywhere. Things happened. Like, we went in a direction. Now it looks like I don't think these guys view their position as stewards of the sport. I think they view it as, oh, we invested in this property and we need to make our money back on this property. Yeah, and I don't think that is new. I think that, it, I mean, I know I've been saying that. I think a lot of us have been saying that since the beginning. Like, this is a company that is interested in, you know, making money off this acquisition. And they're going to do that however quickly they can. And they're not really, and I don't think the organization is thinking long term. It's thinking it is very event by event. How do we make this event as, successful as possible and i think their answer has been we need to have a title belt on this poster that will get more people interested and the champions aren't always ready to go there sometimes they get injured sometimes they have other scheduling conflicts so they have resorted to doing these interim belts which have you know as we all understand it they're basically number one contender belts or that's how we understood it before because that's not even the case now i mean and that's really the push here is that it used to be 
okay, you get an interim belt when the champion can't fight, and that basically guarantees you to be the number one contender because you have the belt. You're technically a champion of this division. And what we've seen going forward is that if that narrative isn't going to fit within the timeline that they have these guys available, they'll just scrap it and be like, you're not the champion anymore. The champion's going to fight someone else and that's going to defend it. And you're just back into the ranking system. Exactly, um, man. Cause that's what, um, Stefan, that's what, I mean, they tried to get, uh, Brian Ortega to take a interim title fight against Jeremy Stevens, uh, last month or earlier this month. And Brian Ortega's like, fucking no. Like, why would I do that? And the UFC got all pissy at him, but why would he do it, right? I mean, yeah, they, the one upside in, in the last trends, as Mark pointed out, you know, fighters are getting smarter. They know their value, you know. They might, they had an over, maybe overinflated sense of their value after the uh, sale, because I think by all accounts, we could say maybe WME overpaid uh, a little for their, their with their investment. Um, but... Hey, fighters are smart. They gotta they gotta watch out for themselves. You know, it's a dangerous sport. Yeah, it's just I I, I don't I, if you're gonna have that business strategy of we're gonna manufacture some bullshit and get some fights, and we're finally there. Like I don't know. I mean, Luke Thomas said it. I don't think we're gonna see twelve pay per views a year over the course of these five years with ESPN. They like he he made the point. He said he's been making the point for years how like the bill is gonna come on on, on this on this schedule. The bill is the bill is here. It's time to pay the bill, and it's big. And they're getting their asses kicked by it, because we're about to talk about a pay per view, which is great that they got two title fights on it, but it gets real fucking thin after that. Real fucking thin. This is just not sustainable schedule. I mean, yeah, I think it's where we're at. Um, let's have some fun with some twenty pet questions before we pick these fights, though. Marcus, you got a guy in mind? Yeah, I or, do. So you know, um. Just to get those uh, that haven't been following the last couple of weeks, we've been playing 20 questions. You guys have gotten the first two um, fighters correct within 15 questions. The first one was Don Fry. The second was Ben Rothwell. So um, I picked another one. I think this one's going to be tough, but um, I had one person in mind, and I was like, hey, if they, there's a certain line of questions. That if they get those, it's really going to narrow down the field. They're going to be able to get it. So I tried to pick someone. We're gauging, right? I'm gauging to see just how deep I can go into the well that, that's going to be, um, you know, still a challenge, but something that you guys can still get. So this one might be tough, but let's see how we do. So who wants to kick it off? Well, let me start with this because I asked Mark, do you have a guy picked out? And he said yes. So do we assume he was just – he meant guy to mean anything? Or does, did person, I sneak in – fighter. Oh, did I sneak in that it's a male right there? Did we already get that out of him? Do we, we even ask know. the question? Do we even ask that question now is the question. This is what we got to decide. Bobby would like to solve it. Go. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to ask. Um, Bobby knows it's a man. Is it a male fighter? Yes. Come on, man. I, I think I realized yeah, yeah, we, we don't have to ask if it's a male fighter until at least Mike, why don't you why, why don't you save your dumbass questions for later before you judge mine? All right? First off, it's not a question. It's an observation. It's a dumbass observation. No, you're going to ask it. You're, you're about to waste one of our questions on some shit that's real dumb anyway. I know it's coming at some point. I, uh, which one did Mike last no, week? I was gonna, Bobby look, man, and I were certainly look, man. it. Here's the strategy when it comes to 20 questions. <laughs> the strategy of 20 questions, you start very general to narrow that bitch down first. All right, so, so what do you got, I'm Mike? Go what do you got, Mike? With, is he an active fighter? Uh, no. Eat it, Bobby. <laughs> okay, Stefan? See, I could have answered that one because Mark gave two tells. He gave the tell that it was a guy, and he gave the tell that it's not an actor. Because Mark said he had to dig deep in the well. 
Mark yeah. is going back in time. That, Both yeah. of you have That's wasted. not necessarily true because I thought Ben Wathrell, who was an active fighter, was a pretty deep cut too. We don't uh, talk ben, about Ben. ben except ben we Rockwell. did well. Rockwell's. No, 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 it's Rockwell. It's Rockwell, Mike. Jesus, again, Rockwell. I know, man. I know. I was making a joke. Okay, okay. Let's continue, Steph. What do you got? Um, <laughs> my favorite question and clue, is he a black guy? Is he a black guy? No. Did he ever compete in the UFC? Uh, yes. Is he American? Yes. That's five. Did he compete at heavyweight? Uh, technically, he's competed at heavyweight. Hmm. Technically. So this is, I think, before they even had weight divisions. Did he compete in pride? Uh, no. All right. Ooh, that does make it uh, tougher. Hmm. Has he... he? Oh, it's your turn, Mike. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on, it's um, your turn, Michael. No, it's your turn, Mike. Go ahead. No, I defer because I think what I was about to ask is stupid. <laughs> you don't go in order. It's all right. <laughs> Mike didn't have a strong one. No, I did not. So, stuff what do you got? Has he ever held a title in any organization? In any organization? Uh... <clears throat> oh, I'm, I think I know what he's thinking about. I'm going to say no. We'll call them MMA organizations. Right. I'm, I'm going to say no. Hmm. Did anybody, did, did, did he, Mike, you asked if he was American? I did. Yeah. So he's, he so, yes. he's an, so he's an American who's fought in the UFC at heavyweight and has never held a title. No, 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 no. Hasn't fought at heavyweight. Would have fought. He said technically would have fought at heavyweight. No, technically this fighter has fought in at heavyweight. That's not See? determined if he was in the UFC that he was fighting at heavyweight or not. Just that the question was, has he fought at heavyweight? And I gave a very generous, because I don't want to throw you guys, said technically this fighter has fought at heavyweight. And that is a true statement. But I, think, I think he means that if he had weighed in, if it had been weigh-ins, it would have been heavyweight. But I think it means open weight. Okay, when we're asking if he was a, he fought at heavyweight, I, are, we, are we not asking if this was billed as a heavyweight fight? Because... Wouldn't that be that? Doesn't that isn't that what it means? He he has fought in a. I'm giving you a look. He has fought at a heavyweight fight. There we go, Mike. He fought okay. a fought, he All fought right. a heavyweight fight. I'm not saying that's the only weight division he's fought in. Given extra clues, don't want to mislead you. All right. Um, has he fought in in a UFC tournament? Uh, no. Okay. To you, Bob. What are we got? I'm thinking. What number are we at? We're at nine right now. This is nine 15. or this is nine or ten. You guys have asked nine questions. This next one will be so the tenth question. We know he wasn't in the first few UFCs. We know he's American. We know he hasn't okay. won a title. Has he fought in the UFC between UFC 100 to now? Uh, 100 to now. July 2009. No. Or yeah. Okay. Okay. Good question. I gotta, I gotta narrow down this time period a little bit, man. <laughs> Is he still alive? Yes. 
I like that one. Yes, he is still there are older American MMA fighters who are now passed away. This is like guys who fought like once in the UFC. This is. Mark, 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 this is a hard one. This one, mm. this one, I had to crank it up a little bit. This one's hard, but I think most you guys know this. Maybe Mike isn't as familiar with this guy. We'll have to find out. They didn't fight in prison. Is, 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 um, is he a wrestling based fighter? Yes, like is that his base? Yes, it's okay. a good question. I was about to lead us down a path to Paul Buentello. This guy's never held a fucking title anywhere. Uh, not. I would say not really. No. So you know that that was him reiterating the question that was asked before. That wasn't. Yeah. Oh no, I know. He know. I know. Yeah, they didn't cut that as a question. Well, because there's so many regional MMA promotions and stuff. I didn't know if the guy won like you know, the tough, tough enough, you know. Barnyard Brawls Championship or some shit. I mean, if he if he didn't, I said yes. So would that help you, really? No, not really. See, so <laughs> who was the uh, first week you guys picked? Don Fry. Don Fry. Okay, we need another question. Whose turn is it? It's either my turn. I just want so it's either your stuff. Stefan's your turn. Mm. Did I mean, they always... ever additionally do professional wrestling? Uh, no. Oh, that would have helped. Let's say saw Ken Shamrock. <laughs> Ken Shamrock was champion. Oh, shit, yeah. Fuck, yeah, you're right. Um, did he ever fight at middleweight? Uh, yes. Okay. He's gotten down to 185. Yeah, so he's gone that far. Okay. Did we ask if he's white yet? <laughs> uh, technically not. Oh, no, no, no. Asked um, I asked if he was black and we asked if he was American. So we're That's landing true. on the United States is a very binary culture. And so by process true. of elimination, we just presume he's a white guy. And I'm assuming, I, I'm, I'm assuming Mark thinks any, 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 Lati any dark skinned Latinos black as well. So. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> that, that, that would have to be, to be determined. would have to be asked. <laughs> That and also, I'm assuming that someone that old, I, I don't remember there being a lot of Latino, you know, at least middleweights that far, that high up, right? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you guys are on, are on the right trail. I haven't, you're not being misled. We're at 14 right now. What do we got? What's another question? We can narrow this person down. All right. So, white American dude who didn't fight in the first UFCs, who's never won a championship, who's white. Did I say white already? With a wrestling base, mm -hmm. has fought at 185 and heavyweight. Wait, wow! So he's fought at above 205 and all the way down to 185. Okay, he's hasn't sure fought in Pride. Does somebody know if talking for a while? Have, who's whose question are we on? Uh, Stefan, is when was the last time Joe Riggs fought anybody? I don't know. That's that's what I got in my Wait, head. That's one of those things you could ask me. Like, is he still alive? <laughs> Mark, was the, when was the last time the Fred fought? Mark, were they ever on an Ultimate Fighter season? Or, like as a coach or just on it? I'm covering both bases in one question. I 
I want to say he was, but I'm not positive. Mm. That makes it tough. I I think that's pretty – okay, I'll give you these. He obviously wasn't a coach, right? Yeah. But he might have been an assistant coach. I literally – there's been seasons I – assistant coach is really – but he, he it's it's very probable that he was an assistant coach for one of the tough seasons. I'm not positive on that. So then we're ruling him out as a head coach or definitely yeah, I'm giving you I'm giving you that to, okay. to mark it as a question. He was not a head coach. This is the longest this segment's did, ever gone. Did, did he ever fight for a UFC championship? He has. He has fought for a UFC championship. See, my line of questioning was leading towards Keith Jardine, but that would have been a decently obscure one. Who became did, an actor? Uh, did Frank Trigger ever fight at 185, guys? I don't think so, Frank Trigger ever fought. Well, how many how many questions do we have? We're like at 16. Yeah. Yep. Does does he have does he have hair? Uh, no. on his head? Nope. No. No. Okay, so he's bald. Yo, Frank Trigger's bald, yo. I was, I'm trying to think that too. Yeah, I'm. But Frank Trigger ever fought at heavyweight? I know he fought at 170 when he fought Matt Hughes. Didn't That's Frank about- Trigg? He he's, back- a one, he's a 170. Frank Trigg's a 175. He never fought at heavyweight, Mike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Motherfucker. Okay. I might have got you on this one. This might have been too deep a cut. <laughs> he's big, bald, big too. Is that- right? So he never fought at 185, right? Who? Tim Sylvia? No, he's no. champion, too. Okay. I really thought it was going to be Joe Riggs. Yeah, Ooh, so how about Brandon Vera? Brandon Vera, we get to eighty-five. He's fought. He's fought. He's fought since UFC one hundred. Yeah, he's also fucking huge. He was a heavyweight for a while too. So if Mark to refer to him as technically a heavyweight. That would have been yeah, misleading. That's true. All right, we need another question. We're we're working on it. This is like the longest segment in history. Of this well, show. I know. This that's what I'm saying. We got to. Well, wait, wait, wait. We don't want to lose. All right, Stefan. So we got a bald American who's fought, fought for a at, title. Fought for a title. He said in the UFC, he fought for title, right? Yeah. Okay, he's fought at heavyweight and middleweight, at least. Do we try to figure out what title he competed? He, cha- he challenged for? I did not, we did not, not ask that's that. The best, that's the best process of elimination we got left. Yeah. All right. Um, which ask title do you guys want to guess? Bob, ask wisely. If he was technically a heavyweight, it means he competed either for the middleweight or light heavyweight belt. I mean, did, have... he comp- did he come? Did he Did he compete for a championship at in the UFC at two hundred and five pounds or higher? No. Okay. So is that one eighty five then? Yeah. Good, good oh, question. I know who it is. To eliminate some of the different possibilities. I think. I think. I think I know who it is. We got two questions left, Bobby. Maybe you should eliminate. Use a question that will suffice your your. Stefan, the guy who fought the the guy who. Oh, he! It was technically not a title fight when that guy missed weight against Anderson Silva. Are we thinking of Travis Luter? Yeah, and he won tough. So that does—it's not him. Um, yeah, he won a season. That's one of the guys I had in mind, but when I asked where they had tough contestant, that was meant to. Uh, he said he was maybe a coach, maybe an assistant. So, so he definitely was not a main coach. He he's might have been a headlining coach. All right, who could this be? Let me think. Patrick Cote's fought since UFC. Patrick Cote's got hair, also. Okay. <laughs> And he's Canadian, not American. Okay, yeah, good point. So he fought out. He fought for the title at 185. I can't remember who were the champions at 185 pre UFC 100. 
Has Matt Lindland not won a fucking belt anywhere? Is that really what we're about to have here? Ooh, is that what? Is solid, that really the fucking answer here? That's a solid bet, Bob. I mean, we have no questions. We have we, we have no questions. questions left. We have. No you know, I'm gonna lay my nuts out there. I'm going Matt Lindland. You're you're, uh, you're guessing Matt Lindland. You have one more question before you don't have to use, but you can if you want. What do you guys? You guys? You guys? You guys? What do we know about Matt Lindland? I mean, I don't want to look this up, so I no, no, know no, he's no. American. What do we know about him. You tell us what we know, and we can ask the question. We won't be asking, "Is it Matt Lindland?" We'll be asking something specific about Matt Lindland. That so there's the thing. He's an American. If Mark thinks he might have been a coach, it's because of Randy Couture as an assistant. He could have been Randy Couture's assistant coach. He fought Fedor. He, so he that fought was technically a heavyweight fight. He fought Quentin Jackson. He fought Fedor. He didn't get a title shot. At he didn't. He didn't get another. He had a real shady title shot. Then he was ranked high for a while. Didn't get another shot. I think it's Matt Lindland because I don't know who else Ball fought for this title, and Travis Luter didn't actually fight for the belt. I will ride with that answer. Um, do you want? Do you guys want to slay our nuts out there? Or do you guys want to make a, make another like? How about this? You want me to ask another question? How As about we this? said, this segment has gone long time, Bobby. Lay it out there. Go for it, Bobby. Is it Matt Lindland? <laughs> it is Matt Lindland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My next question was going to be: Was he part of Team Quest? That was all. I was going to get the fucking last one in there. Jesus, took nineteen for that one. Um, that was a tough you know what? One. You guys got there though. You know what? It's going to be really. You know it's okay. We're going to be able to pick these fights kind of quickly because two of the fights, three of the fights, we don't have a ton of analysis. UFC 227 is happening this weekend. Coming to you from the Staples Center, which is fucking huge, which I know the UFC is not going to fill up with this card, despite two title fights. Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to go from the bottom up on this main card, um, which I've now fucking lost the order, which is probably great. Stefan, what's the first fight? The first fight is the headliner, and that is Cody Garbrandt. No, I'm going to start from the bottom up. And Tiago Santos. Oh. That's the first one? Mm-hmm. I, I thought the first one was... Let me just ask the fucking you. That is Tiago Santos, and what's the other gentleman's name? Kevin Holland. Uh, Tiago Santos is coming into this fight. Um, I want to say he he won his last one, but I honestly don't remember. Tiago Santos's last fight was a loss to David Branch. Got knocked out. Um, Kevin, the Trailblazer Holland, um, is on. Uh, he came. He's coming off the Dana White Contender Series, which and is only. Uh, He's got a few losses, including one to Curtis Millender, who's in the UFC right now. Uh, he is twelve and three, uh, six foot three, one hundred eighty-five pounds, twenty-five years old. Eleven finishes in those twelve victories. Training out of Fort Worth, Texas. Stefan, what are the odds on this one? Uh, Tiago Santos is one of the bigger favorites on the card. At where is it? Minus three ninety to Kevin Holland's plus three twenty. I'm going. I'm going. Uh, I'm going to go with Tiago Santos. Figure the odds makers know something here. What do you think, Steph? Um, I'm going with Santos too, but by virtue of seeing Holland gets a lot of finishes, it's one of those things. This seems like one of those fights. One of these guys is getting knocked out. Yeah, makes a fair point right there, uh, Mike. What do you think? Holland would be a strong DraftKings pick, but I am not playing DraftKings, so I will go with Tiago Santos. I had like two bucks left in there. I pulled it out finally. Uh, Marcus, you gonna join us with the Tiago yeah, Santos pick? Across the board. All right. Um, the next fight on the main card is JJ Aldrich taking on Pollyanna. What the hell's her last name? Vienna Mota. Um, JJ Aldrich is six and two. Pollyanna Vienna Mota is ten and one. JJ, a veteran of the UFC and Invicta. Um, with losses to Juliana Lima 
and Jamie Moyle. How also has a loss on the Ultimate Fighter to eventual winner uh, Tatiana Suarez, um, twenty six years old, fighting out of Westminster, Colorado, six and two with uh, two knockouts, four decisions in those victories. Pauliano Viana Mota, um, Dama de Ferro, which my Portuguese isn't good, um, so I don't know what that means. Ten and one, ten fucking finishes. Fighting out of Brazil, uh, the Tata fight team. Um, sh- yeah, she's a big favorite also, isn't she, Steph? Minus 275 to JJ's plus 235. I honestly don't remember any of JJ's fights, despite her having a few of them in the UFC. And here we are. She's on pay-per-view where we have to pay for her. I don't feel comfortable picking against Pollyanna in this one, despite this being her UFC debut. Got Pollyanna. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, um... Y- you just laying down the, the groundwork there convinced me uh, Pollyanna probably has the uh, the better shot in this one. Mike, what do you think? Dama de Ferra, I think, means feral lady. Um, I remember seeing Aldridge fight. Uh, Jamie Moll ain't exactly a world beater, so her losing, her losing to her doesn't really fill me a lot of confidence. So, Viana. Stefan? Um, I think the key thing to note about Pollyanna is she gets a lot of finishes and those are still harder to come by among a lot of the women's divisions. So, um, yeah, riding her as a the hot prospect. Uh, Cub Swanson uh, taking on Henato Moicano. Cub Swanson been a fan favorite for a very long time. Um, quite some somebody who's actually a pretty good follow on Twitter in this day and age, where we should all probably delete Twitter. Uh, he still made me laugh the time that they were trying to show a preview for one of the UFC games and they showed Jose Aldo doing the double knee and Cub Swanson's response, a comment on that tweet was that move doesn't work, which you got to appreciate a man who can laugh at himself a little bit. Uh, if you don't know what happened, he's the man who caught that double knee to the face famously in an eight second fight. Hanato Moicano is somebody I pointed out that we should probably start paying attention to 20, 12 and one, 29 years old, recently beat Calvin Qatar. His only loss is to Brian Ortega. He's got a win over Jeremy Stevens. Cub Swanson's getting a little bit up there, guys. He's 34 years old. Lost to Frankie Edgar again. Lost to Brian Ortega. Um, has had some wars, man. He Artem hung around more than he should have. Him and Duho had maybe a fight of the year candidate a couple years ago. Um, I believe he recently got married and has a kid. Um, married to uh, Kenda Perez. You guys remember the old show, um, the Pride show that used to be on TV. Um, she was also in the video game a bunch. So Cubs, uh, you know, winding down a little bit here, you'd imagine uh, this many fights in his career. Stefan, he's a pretty big underdog too, isn't he? Um, yeah, if it weren't for Mighty Mouse, this would be the uh, highest discrepancy of all the fights. But Hanato uh, Moicano is minus 420. Take a puff. And Cubs Swanson is plus 335. Uh, what do you think, man? Um, you know, Cubs fighting in his hometown. You got that big SoCal tattoo across his stomach. So maybe he pulls out the performance of a lifetime. But as much as I was ready to anoint uh, Brian Ortega as the uh, next big thing, I was, I was probably going to lean picking him against, um, you know, uh, Holloway had that fight come to fruition. But uh, Moicano was beating the shit out of Ortega until he was. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, you know, that was a fight of the night. And that's kind of where the, you know, Cub Swanson as well, it, the legend of Brian Ortega was that he could pull off these Hail Mary guillotines deep in the third. And that's what happened to Moicano. But he was he was beating Ortega up until that point. So just, you know, even though he lost that fight, the fact that he could do that to a guy who's right there on the cusp of contention himself 
Um, it shows how legit of a prospect Moicano is. So, like you said, Cub, great action fighter. You know, have enjoyed him in his career, but he's winding down. Yeah, grappling-based attack also, if you look at uh, Moicano's record. And Cub's been known to get caught in a few of those. So I got to go with the big favorite here, Moicano, also. What do you think, Mark? Um, I, I, I'm going to go with Cub. Just because I'm gonna, I want to mix it up so we don't all pick the same person. Yeah, we're really headed um, that way there. <laughs> I, I think he has a shot. I, honestly, um, going into this fight, I was more comfortable with Cub because I didn't really remember um, Mercano that much. But looking through his credentials and looking at a picture of him, so I can kind of recognize his face. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a clear reason why this guy's the favorite. I think he's most likely to win. Um, but it's not fun if we all pick the same fucking guys for all of them. So I'm gonna go with Cub on this one. Uh, I think he, he, I, there's ways for him to win. And Mark, if Mike. you really want to be ballsy, you should have picked someone different for the next fight. <laughs> well, the, Mike, these, these, a couple of these are lockdowns for me. Mike, Mike, what do you think about this one here? I'm going to go with uh, Boycotto with this one. Um, Mikey loves nothing more than a hot prospect. Fair enough. Um, and here it is, folks. A rematch um, that's happening because the UFC is too cheap to pay for the fight we all want to see. Um Henry Cejudo's kind of come and try to do it again, folks. 12 and 2 Henry Cejudo has fought two times since fighting, fought, fought three times since fighting Demetrius Johnson. Lost a split to Joseph Benavidez that made all of us go, whoa, Henry Cejudo learned how to punch. And then he knocked out Wilson Hayes. We're like, whoa, Henry Cejudo learned how to punch. And then he fought Sergio Pettis. We're like, ah, oh, Henry Cejudo is going to grapple. Um, He is taking on the one and only Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Man who holds all sorts of fucking records uh, on a win streak that I think... What is he at now? 13-fight win streak. Broke the record for title defenses in the UFC. Um, one of the greatest fighters to ever do it. And a man who essentially fights perfect. Um, sometimes to the detriment of some of his some entertainment. But he does not make mistakes out there basically ever. Stefan, what's the breading line here? Um, like I said, there should have there are some massive favorites, but uh, Mighty Mouse takes the cake at minus four seventy to Henry Cejudo's plus three seventy five. Um, I, you guys know how much I love Mighty Mouse, and I was really pointing out how much Cejudo was getting better. I remember seeing all those fights, thinking, "Wow, Cejudo's really getting better," but this is a big gap to close, and he's he's not there. Like he, I don't. I mean, look at MMA. Maybe he hits him with something big, but pff, fuck, man. John Dotson hit Mighty Mouse right on the fucking chin, full clip, three times. Put him on his ass. Couldn't win the fight. Demetrius Johnson is the most unbeatable fighter in MMA right now. Um, number one pound for pounds probably to Daniel Cormier. But in terms of beatability, I don't know how you beat Demetrius Johnson at his weight class. Stefan? Uh, you took a more pragmatic view of it. I'll go for the hyperbole one. This rematch is absurd. This rematch is ridiculous. This rematch shouldn't exist. Um, Mighty Mouse all the way. Mark? I'm not going to pick against Mighty Mouse at flyweight ever. Mike? Henry Cejudo it has gotten better. But all this reminds me of was an episode of Dragon Ball Z when they were all preparing a fight cell. And Piccolo comes out of the hyperbaric time chamber. And Goku just goes, wow, Piccolo, you got so much stronger. And Piccolo just goes, yeah, but probably still nowhere near you, right? And Goku pretty much goes, yeah, that's pretty much what we have in this fight. Demetrius Johnson is Goku. Henry Cejudo, he powered up a bit. 
but it's going to be no contest. Henry Zahudo's like this terrible shit talk he's going with too, about how I'm the, I'm going to catch the mouse and the mouse is scared. I'm like, my man, you lost quick. Like he got finished in three minutes, didn't he? It was something like that. Like he got kneed in the stomach and that shit was a wrap. Well, two minutes and forty nine seconds. It's the only fight Mighty Mouse has had end in the first round since we saw him get knock out Benavidez for uh, five years ago almost. I mean, yeah, that, that that's a really bad place to be. It's like the Besh Correa fight where, I mean, Mighty Mouse more legit where like, oh, Ronda's got knockout power. Like, this isn't even supposed to happen. That's how bad you lost. Um, like I said, this is a this is a very lopsided rematch. Um, main event, Cody Carbrent, TJ Dillashaw that competed at UFC 217. Hell of a fight, which I think only went two rounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, which in the first round, Cody Garbrandt knocked down and almost finished TJ Dillashaw. And then in the second round, TJ Dillashaw knocked down and finished Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I think this is an extremely difficult fight to pick because I did not walk out of that fight thinking TJ is definitely better than him, quite frankly. So I'm going to do the thing where I wait for some of you guys to make some picks first. Uh, betting line, Stefan? Uh, very close fight. Just it. It mirrors your feelings, Bob. Cody Garbrandt is minus 105. TJ Dillashaw is minus 115. Um, what do you think, man? Um, you know, before uh, I ended up watching the uh, UFC countdown show earlier today, um, but before that, I was kind of leaning Cody, and I know I picked Cody last time. Um, but after watching the countdown show, I'm, I know I'm going to be riding with Mark on at least on this. Um, I'm, I'm going with TJ Dillashaw. Uh, it's just something I feeling I got watching the countdown show. I did not realize Cody Garbrandt has had as many back issues as he's had. Yeah. His back is fucked last year. It's really, Um, it's really fucked. They were showing him getting a lot of injections into his back. And if there's one injury, I definitely know derails careers. It is back injuries. Um, you know, Cody, he relies on speed. He's got great power. Um, at the end of the day, he's just a boxer, and I, I mean that with a great amount of respect because he's a tremendous boxer, but um, TJ's game is just a bit more diversified, and I think that's ultimately what got uh, Cody in the last fight. You know, it was There was a head kick in there that, that he succumbed to. Um, he was definitely the better, faster, stronger fighter in the first round, but he, he wore down, um, and if back issues are something plaguing Cody he will keep wearing down in fights um it's really close you saw him drop tj so you know it's absolutely possible but um i'm gonna hey, flip I, on this and take tj as a reminder we all took cody last time including mark every one of us took cody garbrandt because in our defense he beat the greatest band and weight to ever do this and, he and it wasn't him. even and he it wasn't close it. it wasn't even close tj lost to dominic in a crazy razor close fight but Cody styled on him. I mean, so our reasons for picking him were legit. And that back injury, Stefan, has been in my head this whole fucking time. So, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, what do you think, Mike? You know, I had actually forgotten about the uh, the back injury. And I originally was going to pick uh, Garbrandt. But, you know, I'm going to assume that even with all the injections, everyone goes into the octagon kind of hurt. So I'm going to assume that He'll bring the fight just like how he did in the last fight. And let's let's face it, he almost won that last fight. I mean, he had Dillashaw pretty hurt in that last fight. A few things uh, go just slightly different, and Garbrandt could be a defending bantamweight champion. So I'm not going to change my pick. Um, I'm going to go 
two times in a row picking Garbrandt. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, it's weird, Marcus, how like in terms of just the fights themselves, if you told me, I mean, I'd want to see a third matchup between these guys just based on the matchup. But everybody, they really are having a battle for, I mean, this time there's less talking. But like they both come off so fucking unlikable. Just like frat boy MMA fighting is, I don't know. That's just a total side note. Uh, what do you think, man? Who do you got here? You're gonna go with? You're gonna you're gonna go? You're gonna come back to Team TJ? Yeah, I mean TJ was one of those guys that I definitely always, I can't say always, but I was riding with most of the time, and I was just so impressed with what uh, Cody had done. So I, I'm gonna ride with TJ on this one. Um, I, I it is it's a it's a pick 'em fight, honestly. Um, just like the just like the first time they fought. Um, and how the fight actually unfolded. Um, what I thought was interesting that Steph mentioned, um, I also watched the countdown, um, and I took something different away. They had a moment in the countdown where they had Cody um, and his two main coaches. I can't remember who the, what their names are. Uh, Joey Rodriguez is one of them? No, the no, no, no. It's the two guys that fought. Uh, Holdsworth and uh, the rest Castillo? of them. Castillo? Castillo. So they're yeah. watching the fight, and... The first round, all they're talking about, like, you got him, man. Like, you nailed him that round. You got him. And the second round, they're quiet. They're not and, – and, and I'm sure these guys have done their homework and analyzed the film. But in this segment, they weren't talking about, like, okay, you know you know where you really got tripped up is when Cody goes southpaw. That's when he hit you with the high kick. That's when he hit you with the lead right hook. We need to make you adjustable so that when he's switching stances, you know what attacks you need to throw with. Because basically, he goes southpaw. You leave with that right straight. Your right punch is one of your best punches. Don't throw a hook. Throw, you know, they weren't getting into that. Kind I mean, you, do you really think that might have been something they don't want to do on camera? Because I was watching one of the countdown shows and I saw the coach tell the guy, "All right, camera off." So, like, so, so, Bob, I mean, they could do that, but also what the tone in that room was that like all those guys became deflated when they saw the fight. It wasn't about let's learn technique and what you did wrong, which is what they said in the beginning of the segment. Like, okay, we're we're going over the fight because I want to learn what I did wrong. But when they watched the fight. It was just emotion. The first round was all like, yeah, we got him, man. Show him how you did it, Cody. And that's what happened in the fight, too. The corner was like, TJ, you're too slow. You're too slow. The corner, what I'm getting from them is that it's all emotional still. And they're not getting analytical with it. And I've always seen TJ and Bang, and, and because of the interviews that Bang gives, that dude breaks it down. And that's why when you see that adjustment from the round one to two, he tells him, like, he gives him really good adjustments. Like, don't set up the kicks. Just power those kicks out. Let him absorb it on the arms. Hit him with the big kicks. Don't set him up. He He's looking at the fight game as a fight game, and they're kind of looking at it as an emotional experience. Like, we have to get this guy back because he, he hurt our pride. Alpha males, right? So um, I don't know where their head's at. Um, I think technically these guys are, are on point. I thought that was a really interesting segment where – I get the feeling that the alpha male guys still, this is a wound that's festering for them. It still hurts them. And I don't know how analytical they're being about it. And if they, if that clip was more about breaking down, not even getting into specifics about like, okay, we need to make these adjustments. But it was just like, they saw it and it just hurt them again. It's just, it brought them to an emotional state. And, I don't know. That's how they you want to be entering in this fight. It's just like I got a chip on my shoulder. Hey, Marcus, question: <laughs> Did uh, I I didn't see it. So did I? That's not they, Cody doesn't have that. And Cody TJ doesn't have that elevation fight team shit anymore, right? No, they, it's they just him and Bang on the on the countdown too. He started his own fight team in Southern California. So it's like I think there's a good question there. Is like who's he training with? I mean, obviously he's bringing in Bang. I'm sure he's got some good athletic guys there, but I don't really know the caliber. Of guys he's training with, and I don't even know if that's a 
something that's even necessary in this day and age. When I mean, have, it's hard also. Because we had like, I mean, like Bisping had his own team, basically. It was just him and Jason Perillo and whatever sparring sure. partner same, they found. Same count, though. Bob, um, DJ talks about that exact thing. He's like, yeah, we don't have a big fight team with the best fighters in the world. Matt Hume doesn't need to get me the best bodies because I don't need these guys clashing into me, getting me injured, hurting me. I need guys that are enthusiastic about martial arts, that know how to fight and can help me train and break down my skills and build them up. Whereas a lot of fight camps are just like, let's just get the baddest fucking dudes and just have them fucking clash like action figures each day, just beating each other up, and that'll make them better. And for some people, that has totally worked. But for DJ, it really hasn't. It's been about coaching and getting really analytical about the fight game. And it seems to be the same kind of strategy that uh, Dillashaw and Bang are kind of aspiring to. And I think that's a better coaching method overall. If that's going to win him the fight here, I have no idea because uh, Garbrandt's a fucking beast. He can easily win this fight. These are just weird outliers I'm picking up and being like, eh, this makes me a little bit more it, It's really tough, this fight, though, man. Because, like, I mean, I I was going – because I – I've been on riding the Cody Garbrandt hype train for a while. I think I picked him in every one of these fights except for Dominic because that was just out of insanity. But I remember, like, I picked him over Thomas Lameda, which in retrospect, yeah, of course I did. But, like, at the time, that was fucking a hard call. And for a guy, and we saw it again, and, um, Stefan, to your point, I mean, we used to, you, you, me and you talked about this a lot, remember, before the Dominic fight, how, like, Cody is so goddamn emotional. But, like, he managed to fight with no, like, like, he really stayed within himself when he fought Dominic. And fought really within himself with Almeida. And, like, for a guy who's loud and boisterous and comes off real douchey and almost got in a fight with McGregor on um, Tough, when it came to fights, it always seemed like he was able to, like, maintain an even keel and just keep his, like, just keep his strategy intact. And I don't know if that fell apart in the TJ1 last <clears throat> pardon me, in the last fight, but, like, it seemed like he was, Mark pointed out the emotion thing, it seemed like he was fighting from a place of emotion more in that one than in any of the previous fights. I agree, yeah, we, we were definitely shocked, but it made sense in hindsight, because what did we always critique about the Dominic to Alpha Male feud? It felt a little forced, you know? Mm -hmm. It seemed like, you know, Uriah and Dominic, it, it seemed like it was hammed up for the cameras, that it really wasn't that bad, there was still a professional respect. Um, and so it I think, you know, in hindsight of that, you could say the same with Cody. But, um, like, the segment Mark mentioned, yeah, this feels like a grudge match for Alpha Male. Because I remember the moment that Mark's talking about. They all get sullen. Cody sinks back. And what Cody says is, well, he was so fucking slow in the first round. You know, like, I was moving too fast. He wasn't fast. He was slow. Like, they're still trading childish insults. You know, like, it's it's one of those things. Maybe it's just part of the camera. Maybe it's just the buildup. Or maybe Alpha Male does still feel really slighted by this TJ thing, and they won't let it go. Um, but it feels real. This one feels real more than the rivalry with Dominic ever did. But that's the thing. It, it feels one-sided. It feels like TJ's moved on. He won. Of course he's moved on. He gets to move on, you know. Um, but that 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 would be a concern for Cody is, uh, yeah, the, all these guys still hold some ill will towards TJ. So um, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm going to take TJ Dillashaw here. Um Go against picking my guy here. I was honestly, if you would all pick TJ, I probably would have picked Cody, just because I think it's too close for anybody to for this to be a totally one sided decision here. But the guy won last time. I'm gonna take him. Um, it's interesting uh, when I ask myself who I want to win. I want Cody to win because I think a third matchup would be good. Considering I think these two are really fucking the the class of this division because Dominic Cruz is so hurt. I can't tell where he's at. But in a world where the winner of this fight might fight Demetrius Johnson. 
I'd rather see TJ Dillashaw fight Demetrius Johnson because they seem like they're closer in size. That's just that. But yeah, I'm gonna go TJ Dillashaw on this one. Um, and uh, and a world where Dominic Cruz is getting the next shot, TJ Dillashaw is probably better too because that was a closer fight. So yeah, I it's, it's weird. They're like these guys haven't fought in like eight months. Is the last time they fought, Mike, and it seems like the divisions made no progress. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Um. Marais is out there. That's it. Marlon Marais won uh, won some fights. But I guess that's, that's what happens when, you know, your division isn't exactly the deepest of divisions. All right, guys. This is a uh, we're an hour and twenty minutes in, so let's. Uh, I'm gonna try to be fast with mine at least. Uh, stuff I like. I didn't fucking do anything. Um, I watched Suits, the most recent season of Suits, and I'll be honest, Mike. I know you watch Suits. Not really, not really doing anything for me right now, man. <laughs> Uh, you know this is stuff I like, not stuff eh. Well, I did like Suits, and then this most recent season let me down. So if you got Amazon like, Prime. I'm still like three seasons behind. I was going to say, if you got Amazon Prime, watch Suits there. So The last episode I saw was where uh, Mike gets his uh, law license, his uh, his actual law license. So that Yo, was I mean, like, by the way, I'm 100% sure Prince Harry was watching this show and just saw how hot uh, Meghan Markle is and just said, Yo! I no. want to meet this American actress. You know he saw that season finale where Mike and Rachel get it on in the copy room, and he's like, gets me her number. <laughs> That's what I wanted, Mike, an accent. Uh, you got anything this week? <laughs> I do, I guess. Um, Netflix is uh, really starting to wear thin on me. Well, not wear thin. It's more like I've watched everything on it. So uh, I started watching season two of Supergirl. And it's grown on me like fungus. And um, crap, there was a documentary series I watched uh, all of last week that I binge watched that I thought was really good. Can't remember what it was on though. I think it was on the Vietnam War. I can't remember if I talked about that before. Was it uh, the Kevin Ken Burns thing? I think it was. Yeah, I've been watching that for like the last two weeks or so. um, On the man does good work because that thing's long as fuck, right? Yeah, the the man does good work, but it's. He's not missed details. <laughs> yeah, I know one thing that really blew my mind was when he talked about how in the 68 election, uh, Nixon pretty much committed treason. Yeah. And he had a secret plan also. And what's his name? <laughs> L- LBJ kind of called him out on it. And you hear the recording and he's just, he's just a big coward and doesn't go through with it. I should watch this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know me. I'm a big fan. I'm a big nerd for that shit. Sixties and seventies, Nixon I, especially. I also rewatched all the presidents' men the other day, so that's always a good time. You see, I know you're in all the presidents' men, my guy. You watched that? <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I couldn't find it through you know <clears throat> type of means, so I actually mm. rented it on YouTube. It's one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie. Really good book too, by the way. If you like, if you have any interest in Watergate, which in recent times might be a topic of interest to you. That's that's what you read and watch. It also does a uh, podcast um, that uh, is about Watergate that I've been listening to, and it is called Slow Burn. I pull it up, Slow Burn. You listen to Slow Burn? Yeah, that um that season ended a while ago, didn't it? Yeah, it took me a while to catch up. I'm not watching. I don't. I'm not sure. I give a shit enough to listen to the season two of Lewinsky and Clinton. I live that shit. I'm good. Anyway, um, Stefan, what do you got this week? 
Um, couple quick fires on the video games. Uh, I found Mark lent me God of War for the PlayStation Four. Uh, been playing that, been loving it. Um, I see what all the hype is about. Uh, I picked up a new Switch game. It was that uh, JRPG I mentioned, Octopath Traveler. Really, really fun. Cool throwback to anyone who ever used to play, you know, your Final Fantasies and Chrono Triggers back in the SNES uh, RPG days. Um, There is one major flaw in it, um, story-wise, and that's, you know, uh, so the whole premise is you can kind of go in whatever order you want of these eight characters. Um, You can, you know, combine them, whatever. You can, you know, acquire them as you go through the story. Uh, They all are just kind of on their own independent journeys. Their stories don't ever seem to interact in any type of super meaningful way um so that's just kind of a missed opportunity with the type of mechanic they're going for um and something i love uh in the just something that in the news today um and that is a mr lebron james um usually a lightning magnet for a lot of negative media attention um he did something today that i absolutely with all my heart commend uh he opened the i promise uh public school in akron ohio Basically, it is a privately funded public school meant for at-risk youth in his hometown. Um, as someone who played last week's uh, California Mega Millions lottery, uh, got the mega number right, saw the winner was in the Bay Area in the California, and then that excitement all fleeted when I read the winner was in San Jose and I didn't have any number but the Mega Millions. Um, that's something that I would have done if I just had an absurd amount of money. You know, I've grown up in uh, poor areas. I've grown up in troubled neighborhoods. And the system isn't designed to help them get out. Um, I love the idea of creating, if you had a lot of money, create this school that could attract good teachers, that could actually give some of these kids chances. Um, And LeBron James referred to this day when they broke ground and officially opened the school as the greatest achievement of his career. And I agree. Um, He's a great basketball player. He's been a fun entertainer in Hollywood. But he took his platform, he took his money he made, and he realized there's something even greater he could do with it. Um, And I absolutely commend him for it. Everyone who hates on him because he complains about calls from time to time, the dude is an outright upstanding citizen. Um, You might not like his competitive nature or how he plays a game sometimes, but as a person, he's done nothing to bring his family any shame whatsoever. This is absolutely awesome. I hope more athletes and just rich people can follow with pursuits like this, um, super awesome. The I Promise School in Akron, Ohio. Hats off, LeBron James. Mark. Oh uh, yeah, I got a couple games, two video, one board. Um, actually, personally, for me and my taste, um, this kicks off kind of the fall gaming se- season for me. The next month, every week has some killer stuff coming out including this week. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention is actually directed towards you, Bob, because I'm not personally sold on it. I might check it out at some point, um, but I think um, the concept of the game would be something that you might be interested in. It's called uh, 1979 Revolution Black Friday. Um, I actually mentioned this to Bob when it came out on PC, and now it's hitting uh, PS4. This is kind of, from what my understanding of what the game is, it's kind of like a telltale action event uh well, like a point and click adventure game um but this one is set up in um during 1979 during the iran revolution and you... yeah I, i've uh i've uh played a demo or something of this okay. on the piece or i watched yeah it's a interesting concept yeah I... given my family given my family history it's yeah but i mean i got you and you play the demo so you might have an idea if it's something that you're interested in playing more of or you played it and you're like eh, not a game for me um i just you know 
Um, that revolution is not something that video games ever touch upon or really even gets touched upon that much just in, you know, pop culture and, uh, at all. So I thought it was a really interesting story to uh, try to um, make a video game around. I had never looked at reviews, so I don't really know how what the quality of the game is. It looked like it's very much a, you know, an independent game. So, you know, don't expect even the visual fidelity of a Telltale game. Um, knock it down a few pegs, you kind of are in the right mindset for, you know, the quality of just, you know, the visuals of the game. Um, but the story seemed interesting to me. Um, but really, the game coming out this week that I'm super excited about, um, this is a platformer much in the vein of the Metroidvanias called um, Chasm. This was actually kickstarted about five years ago, and this was a game when they kickstarted it. They had a demo. I've seen demos for this game at GameStops for years, um, and it's finally hitting... Um, uh, hitting uh, this week, actually today, as you're listening to this. Um, yeah, so it's basically like a Metroidvania game where you basically have these kind of sprawling environments that you explore. Um, the slight twist on this is that it's also quasi-roguelike, whereas part of the map is always going to be randomly generated. Um, what they do, so not everything's random, like the big boss areas you go into, the areas surrounding those are um, structured so that everyone kind of experiences the same area. And then, like, your main areas are the same. The connecting in between the those areas is what is going to be um, randomly generated. Um, has a great kind of 16-bit art style. Um, animation always looks good. If you like those kind of Metroid, Castlevania-type games, um, this is in that vein. The next coming weeks, there's more games like this coming out. So if you are interested in these type of games, Maybe hold back until the end of the month. We're, um, next next week's going to be Dead Cells, which came out on PC. A lot of people like. The week after that, there's this game uh, called uh, Death's Gambit. That's kind of like a 2D Dark Souls games. They're all very similar. So if you're kind of into those games, check those three out and kind of see which one might be the best fit for you. Um, I'm really interested in uh, Ch uh, Chasm, though. Uh, looks really cool. Man, there's a there's a character in the game called Bobak, by the way. So Based off out. of. You? Yeah, no. no, no, no. Just a guy. Just a guy with my name. Um, yeah, I. Uh, game was interesting. Interesting idea. Don't know if anybody's gonna buy it. You know, you've done well if the if the Iranian government accuses you of espionage. So they've that's what they accused the director of that game of. You know, cool Western propaganda. That's what you've done. You've done good work. Um, all right, we're gonna be back next week. Uh, does anybody see what do we got next? I think there is something. I think there's one every fucking weekend. Um. Let's. Uh, somebody want to it's tell me the there's Vic a card. Actually, fight is the next one, but it's on the 25th, so we might have a week or. Oh even yeah, we two. have a we have a week. Maybe even two. We have a. Woo! That's a good one too. It is. I'm very much looking forward to get. I was a little more excited for Iaquinta and Gaethje, but the more I, the more I think Angela about it, Hill. There's a lot of good names on this. Kind of makes you think. Couldn't we have slotted some of these fuckers into this pay per view? Because it needs a little help on the undercard, but you get what you get. Did anybody has anybody seen Angela Hill and uh, Jessica Panay's uh, YouTube show? Oh no, I should check that out. It's uh, it's kind of funny, man. It's uh, I forgot that it's called like what is it like two two something straws? Let me help you guys out. Oh, I think it's just called two straws. There we go. It's called two straws. Um, and they're just making jokes, and it's a good time, and they're talking about fights. I don't know. I enjoy it. I watched a couple. I watched a couple episodes of it. Let's check it out. Um. Yeah, we'll be back. Uh, talk about something. Maybe we'll actually induct our Hall of Fame. It's already August almost. Oh boy! We probably we should probably get on top of that. Mark's got to find a pride guy with a losing record to throw in there. Easy. <laughs> <laughs>
Got a backlog what, full of them. What, what, what's, what's Sammy Schilt's record in Pride, man? Or in MMA in general? I, I don't know. I'll think of someone legit. But Akira Soji is worthy of the Hall of Fame. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just busting balls. I'm just busting we, balls. We were more badass for having Soji on that list than you realize. I, I think I think honestly, we just right now just say, yeah, we're putting in Bisping and Rashad Evans and then assume everything else from there. Just go from there. Um, is, all right, guys. Bob Sapp in our Hall of Fame? Mm. Uh, here we go. We might as well. He's about not? to be. Um, all right, guys. Uh, we see you guys, uh, guys and gals. Uh, if you're listening, we appreciate it. As we always mention, we'll be back next week. Uh, you guys, you guys are enjoying the one-hour podcast. Well, we might have that again next week, <laughs> assuming nobody throws a dolly at a bus or anything. Uh, for do- for uh, kid presentable DJ Mark and Lavender Gooms, I'm Doctor Law, and peace out. See ya. See ya.